All right. Good morning, everybody. How you doing this morning? Awesome. Uh, welcome to West Village. If you're new, my name is Chris. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, uh, one of the pastors and leaders here, and uh, one of the things I get to do that I love is teaching and preaching the Bible. And so we're going to do that this morning. Uh, if you're coming in uh, and this is like your first time or you've only been coming for a couple of weeks, uh, normally what we do here is we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. So we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and we took a little break from that this fall to hit a series that's a little bit different for us. We're going to pick up with Matthew two Sundays from this morning. Uh, we're doing like more of, it's kind of like topical, uh, which we don't do. We actually like, kind of like eh, people that do that, but uh, that's what we're doing. We're selling out to the man here. Um, no, we just, uh, really what's happening is uh, the Spirit of God just put some stuff on the hearts of our leaders uh, and we just felt like we really needed to download some content on us as a church family. This is a unique season for us. And so, um, yeah, if you're like, oh man, like last Sunday, I think somebody's like, uh, we're, we always do, uh, you know, sermon review and, and critique and all that stuff. And I think Andrew's exact words were, if I was new, I would have been like, man, that guy sure should have used his Bible a little bit more. Because uh, we, we haven't really been teaching directly from the scriptures. I mean, I think everything we're saying comes from the Bible. It is connected to what uh, Jesus has for us in his word, but it's not necessarily read some verses, yell at you, read some verses, yell at you, which if you are been around West Village for any length of time, that's what you're used to and you've come to love. Um, and so this morning we're going to be doing a similar thing. And so we're, we're kind of in week four of this series. And really the, the big idea of this series has been that God's heart for his church is gospel saturation, that, that he's not content with uh, just a full room or an exciting church gathering, but that he has so much more for his church, that his redemptive plan is so much bigger than just filling church buildings or exciting uh, Sunday gatherings, although those things are a part of God's plan for his church, but that his heart is for what we call around here gospel saturation. We've been defining gospel saturation like this. I think this will be up on the screen. We're hoping to say this enough that you're like, we know that already. And once we've said it that much, then we're just starting to say it enough. But gospel saturation is this, that every day, every man, woman, and child would have a daily encounter with Jesus and his church through word and deed. So the heart isn't to fill buildings, it's to fill cities with Jesus's people living out Jesus's mission. And and this is really the theme of scripture. If you read from Genesis to Revelation, this is what God's doing with his people. He's redeeming a group of people who would uh, live out his mission, who would live out what it means to be image bearers. And the verse that we've been coming back to for many years at West Village and will continue to and have been coming back to through this series is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, where it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we've just been saying that that's a beautiful picture for Jesus's church, for Jesus's people, that this earth would be filled with people who reflect his image and likeness, that everywhere people go, they are bumping into people who are reflecting the glory of God, that in the same way that the the waters cover the sea, so does the glory of God cover the earth. Another way of saying that, Habakkuk 2.14, would be that every day, every man, woman, and child would have a daily encounter with Jesus and his church. So schools, neighborhoods, uh, work offices, buses, uh, grocery store lineups, you, you name it, wherever the people of God are, there is the church. There are people who have been saved and and redeemed by Jesus. They are filled with his Holy Spirit. And the reason that Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit is so that 
two reasons. One, so that the Spirit can testify to us about the goodness of Jesus. But then the second is so that the Spirit can testify through us the goodness of Jesus. That's why this church exists. In fact, that's why every church exists. In fact, if you are here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, this is why the Spirit of God saved you, to do this work. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're new to this, you like got invited by a friend, by a neighbor, you met somebody at you know, your kid's elementary school or work or whatever, and they're like, hey, come check out my church. It's not boring and stuffy like the other ones that you're used to. And so they kind of tricked you by coming. You know, it's in a movie theater. It's got to be cool. And so they tricked you to come to church with you this morning. Um, I, this is God's purpose for your life. This is why you're here. It's not a, it's not a cosmic accident that you're here in this room at this moment hearing this sermon. This is a divine plan by the Holy Spirit that you would hear the gospel this morning. You would hear that God loves you, that he made you in his image and likeness, that that has been marred and broken by sin, and that he's been in hot pursuit of you ever since you've been born. And finally, he has caught you and he's bringing you back to be restored into the image and likeness with which you were made. And then he wants to use you to do the same thing with others. That's his plan. That's his plan. And we've been using this chart just as a a bit of a navigational tool because what we've been saying is there's a process by which God fulfills this work. And, and, And this isn't Bible. This is, you know, I stole this from a pastor in the States who's way smarter and better looking than I am. And I was like, this is good. This is good because it gives us some handles. And what we've been saying is there's a process by which the Holy Spirit works. That, that yes, we can get excited about revival. We can sing about revival. We can pray about revival. We can preach about revival and gospel saturation. But unless we understand how we fit in the greater scheme of what God's doing, we're going to fall short. We're going to get, you know, excited like kids who went to summer camp. And then we're going to go home and it's going to be all forgotten because we don't know what to do or where we fit. And here's what we've been saying. We're kind of been working backwards. We're saying God's heart is to saturate the culture or the city with the gospel. But before he can do that, he must saturate the church. This church, all churches must be saturated with the gospel in order for the culture to be saturated with the gospel. So a lot of times we make the mistake, we pray for revival and we pray for the city. Wrong. Revival starts in the church. The Spirit of God awakens the hearts and minds of the people in the church, and then it spills out into the city. And so what is the church? But it's us. It's you and me. We don't go to church. We are the church. The church is people. It's not a building. It's not an event. It's who we are. We are the family of God, the people of God. And so here's what we've been saying. We've been kind of just bringing this thing back down to ground zero to say, if we say as a church, we want to be about gospel saturation, then here's what we're saying. And here's what we have to say. There's, there's no other conclusion we can draw, but this, we as individuals must be about gospel saturation. In other words, the gospel has to saturate you and it has to saturate me. And the way this thing works is the spirit He does what he does. He awakens our hearts and minds. And if you want to go back to week one and and listen through the sermon where we taught through this chart, I would would encourage you to do that. But he he awakens our hearts and minds. And once this starts to happen in not just the elders or maybe not just a couple of leaders, not a couple of community group leaders, but it starts to spill out into more and more and more of us, then then it kind of happens corporately. And we show up here on a Sunday and there's this sense of anticipation. Uh, There's this sense of hunger as we gather together. I, I feel like I'll just be honest. I'm like an honest guy. Like I just, you know, wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. Okay. It's in the Bible. 
There's been weeks this fall where it's felt like we've arrived here with a sense of hunger. Where we're just like hungry for more of Jesus. I mean, I don't know. This is very subjective and some of you may disagree with me and I'm, I'm okay with being wrong. But this morning, I just didn't feel that. I didn't feel like we were like, as we're singing, like spirits show up. We want more of you. We're hungry for you. We need you. Your presence in our lives is better than life itself. I just wasn't feeling that this morning. And maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm having an off morning. I have no idea. But that's just, but when that starts to happen, when the spirit starts to move in not just one or two or three or 10, but in 50, 75, 250, however many of us there are here on a Sunday morning, man, this place will be thick. The Apostle Paul talks about this, and I think it's in uh, 1 Corinthians where he says, unbelievers will come into your Sunday gathering, and here's what they will say. I have no idea what's going on, but the presence of God is among them. Don't you want that? I want that. I want that. And so we've been taking it back down to ground zero, and uh, there's been like some key phrases and takeaways that I just want to remind us of. Two uh, weeks ago or three weeks ago, I can't remember now, uh, we said this. We said that before we can even talk about gospel saturation, we have to start to learn to pay attention to our hearts. And so the takeaway was what you pay attention to is what you love, so pay attention to what you pay attention to. What you pay attention to is what you love, So pay attention to what you pay attention to. And I challenge us all just to take 10 minutes at the end of every day and ask the Holy Spirit, what do I pay attention to? There's been a lot of good fruit from that. I was talking to uh, David Williams this morning. He's like, I got a flip phone. Like he went, just ditched his smartphone, got a flip phone. Because he doesn't want to be sucked in. And it wasn't an anti-cell phone sermon, but I mean, if we're honest, that thing consumes a good portion of our life. And the following week or last week, we said this. We asked, if what I pay attention to is what I love, then how is it that I start to pay attention to Jesus? We talked and we unpacked how we actually spend time each day with Jesus in prayer. And the challenge was for everyone to take 60 minutes each day and spend it with Jesus, to try and forge out a rhythm in our life where we spend 60 minutes each day with Jesus, like coffee with a friend, like hanging out with your wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or good friend or whatever, and I, I mean, again, from hearing good things, I've been hearing some people say, man, that was hard. It was awkward. I didn't know what to do. We handed out these cards last week. If you didn't get one, if you weren't here, there's some on the table over here. There's a bunch out in the lobby at the Connect desk. There's some at the kids' sign-in uh, table. And uh, you check out your kids, you can pick one up. And on the back, it's just a simple outline of, you know, a guide, to help. This isn't, again, not Bible. It's just an aid for you to use for how to structure your time so that you're not just sitting there going, and this is just designed to help you. So now we're going to move ahead. And really the goal this morning, the aim this morning, and we talked about this last week, but it's to move us from this place where we are just excellent roommates with God to where we actually know him. Like we actually can experience his presence, where we're not just doing church and playing games. We're not just running, you know, just running this thing like it's a routine and a race, but we're actually wanting to slow down, pause, and go like, 
I want to experience the presence of Jesus. And so this morning, what we're going to talk about, as Matt already alluded to, is we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of fasting. Now, you hear the word fasting, and I mean, there's a bunch of things I want to say about this uh, before we get too far into it, but I'll, I'll just make a couple of comments. The first one is this. When, I, when you hear the word fasting, for some of you, you might not even know what it is. You might not go to church. It's a weird culty word that you're not, you know, you associate it with doing keto or something um, as opposed to like a spiritual discipline. But we hear the word fasting inside the church, outside of the church. It can be an intimidating word. It can be intimidating because, I mean, generally speaking, we kind of have a sense that we're talking about going without food. We might not know all the details. We might not know the, the why we would do this or how we would go about doing this or how long we have all kinds of questions around it. But there's a sense in which it's intimidating for us. We, we, at West Village, I mean, we have a lot of people that are new to church, new to faith. We have a lot of people here that, that are not yet, have not yet identified as followers of Jesus. And so this is a completely foreign concept to you. Foreign Here's what I would say. Don't check out. Hang with me here for a minute. Because really what we're trying to do in this series, just in general, but certainly this morning, is is drill deep. I think in the past we've done great at speaking about some of these things in generic terms. We want to drill deep. And and here's why. Because we, we want to create, allow the spirit to create some space in your life to press deep into some things. Right? Again, if you could just throw that chart back up, I'm not sure who's in the back, but if you could throw the chart back up. We've said this before, like some of us are stuck at regeneration. Like we're excellent roommates with God. We've made a profession of faith. We're followers of Jesus. We're excited that Jesus died on the cross. We love coming to church. We love going to community group. We do all the stuff. It's great, but we're still, like we're just stuck. Like, like we're in this place where we haven't actually started, and this is what restoration and regeneration are talking about. We haven't started like healing, like our daddy wound issues are still very present in our life. The, there's brokenness, the divorce that we went through, the abuse we incurred, the sins that we committed, the past that we've lived. Like we're still living there. We're still enslaved to it. Yes, we're going to go to heaven when we die, but we're just stuck. And what we're trying to do is go, Man, if we want to move forward as a church family, like we have to, we have to get healed. We have to be restored. We have to like reform. Reform meaning like become the kind of people who are worthy vessels of the recipient to being recipients of the Holy Spirit. Like move past our brokenness, deal with our junk. And what you're going to see this morning is that fasting is one of the means by which God is going to do that. The second thing I'd say is this: when it comes to fasting. There is a lot of misunderstanding and misinformation about it. We have skimmed the surface here at West Village in talking about fasting. We have done corporate fasts before, but I would say we have not taught on this well. Just in my reading leading up to this morning, and I mean, I've got like 30 minutes left, not even 20 minutes, but it's going to be 30. Um, and and uh, I mean, we are just going to, even this morning, skim the surface of uh, what fasting is all about but we have not taught on this well. We have not discipled you well for that. I apologize. Uh, But I think there's something beautiful here for us as followers of Jesus and even for those of us who are not. So I'm going to answer two questions this morning. We will get to the Bible, I promise you. Don't worry, Andrew, we'll get there. Um, The two questions we're going to answer is this. The first one is, what is fasting? And the second one is, why the heck would we do it? What is fasting and why would we do it? So the first question, what is fasting? Let me just start by framing this in the negative. So let's talk about quickly what fasting is not. Uh, The first thing fasting is not is abstaining, 
right? You'll hear this sometimes. I'm going to fast from my cell phone. I'm going to fast from Netflix. I'm going to fast from Xbox. That's not fasting. That's called adulting, okay? That's just being a grown-up. <laughs> uh, there, is no, there is no sense in the scriptures or in church history that, that those things constitute fasting. There may be wisdom in doing some of them. I would probably strongly encourage you in doing that, but it's not actually fasting. Now, I just need to make this clear caveat here for a second, because I, I want to say this before I forget. So like, we're going to talk about like food is the means by which we fast. It is the way that we do this. This is the way scripture talks about it. This is the way church history has always understood it, but it is not going to be good for some of you to fast from food because of health reasons. That's like the extreme minority of you. Okay. And so if that's you, then you're the exception to the rule, but let's not all try and be the exception to the rule. Some of us don't want to fast from food because we really like food. That's the point. Here's the second thing that fasting is not. I've already alluded to this, but it's not a restricted diet. I mean, fasting is not exclusively a Christian word. This is a word that gets a lot of play and a lot of run right now, actually. I mean, there's there's a lot of other religions that practice fasting. Muslim friends practice fasting during the month of Ramadan. Uh, If you're into like any kind of like health stuff right now, intermittent fasting is wildly popular. People fast to put their body into a state of ketosis. All of these things are popular. Even in the Christian world, there's, there's things called like the Daniel fast, right? Like, like there's nothing Christian about that, just to be clear. Uh, Daniel is not a book written to just to prescribe how you are to uh, eat food. And I know like, you know, pastors write books about that kind of stuff and then package it as Christians. You know, I call it Jesus junk just to convince you that it's something you should buy. And then churches go wild about it but there's nothing biblical about it. And that's not fasting. Here's what fasting is. Here's the definition we're going to lean on. I think this will be on the screen. Biblical fasting is not eating food in order to feed on the Holy Spirit. Not eating food in order to feed on the Holy Spirit. Dallas Willard says this about fasting. Fasting is feasting on our Lord and doing his will. John Piper in his book, A Hunger for God, defines fasting as whole body hungering for God, whole body hungering for God. You see, fasting is indeed not eating, but it is much more than just not eating. All right, the Bible, here we go. Here we go, Luke chapter five. Go there if you have one. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one. It's our gift, open your phone. Uh, Whatever you need to do, these verses will be on the screen. And I wanna come to a text where Jesus Uh, is asked about fasting. And so here we're going to pick up in verse 33, says this, they, talking about the religious leaders, Jesus is in a scenario where he's having a conversation with a bunch of religious leaders. The religious leader said to him, that's Jesus, John's disciples uh, often fast and pray. And so so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. So just let me give you some context here. Pharisees, religious leaders, they come to Jesus. Jesus has a group of disciples. Those disciples are not fasting. And the Pharisees come and they are critiquing Jesus because his disciples aren't fasting. Now, I want you to notice something here, okay? This is important. Don't don't let this skip you by. But it is assumed here that Jesus' disciples would indeed be fasting. Now, in Jewish culture, fasting was wildly popular. If you go back through the New Te- or through the Old Testament, rather, fasting was something that was done corporately by the people of God. It was also something that was done individually. In fact, most uh, Jewish uh, Orthodox Jews would fast twice a week. They would fast uh, every Wednesday and every Friday. And what's interesting about this text is it seems like, if you were just to read this in isolation, it seems like Jesus is actually not encouraging or not endorsing fasting. 
But if you just kind of thumb through the New Testament, you know that's not the case. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'll go there really quickly. Matthew chapter 6, which is where uh, we have been or we're, we're going to be when we come back to the gospel of Matthew. Matthew is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And notice what he says in uh, verse 16. He says, when you fast. So Jesus says, when you fast. In other words, not if you fast, not if you feel like fasting, not if your church is doing a corporate fast and kind of guilting you into fasting, but when you fast. Now, what's interesting, just think about this with me, okay? Sermon on the Mount, not to go too far back, I'm sure you probably don't remember this, but Jesus is laying out for us the constitution of the kingdom. This is what it means to live in my kingdom. He's in a section in the Sermon on the Mount where he's unpacking three disciplines, prayer, giving to the poor, and then fasting. None of us would come to this text and go, well, I think prayer's optional, right? I think if you feel like it, do it. None of us would come to this text and go, well, I think giving to the poor and helping the marginalized, you know, the orphan and the widow, that's optional. They would never fast on Saturdays. They would never fast on Sundays. The reason they wouldn't fast on Saturday is because it was the Sabbath. The reason they wouldn't fast on Sundays is because it was the, the Lord's Day where they would remember the resurrection and Sunday was a day for feasting. But it was not uncommon in the early church for them to fast two times a week, not two times a year, two times a week. John Wesley, as late as the 18th century, said this. And John Wesley, uh, him and his brother, famous uh, followers of Jesus who wrote many of the hymns that the church has sung, this is what he said about fasting. The man who never fasts is no more uh, on the way to heaven than the man who never prays. So, so here's the point I'm trying to make, Okay. Fasting was a big deal. It has always been a big deal. And it's not until just recently that it was considered optional as a discipline within the church and as a part of the Christian experience. A recent survey of Christians showed this. This is uh, just to give you uh, a sense of where we are at. 45% of followers of Jesus never fast. 30% rarely. 12% a few times a year. 5% once a year. Uh, if my math is right, that makes up 92% of Christians. 3% two to three times per month and 2% once a week. If you're here and you don't fast, don't feel bad. Apparently none of us do. And there's lots, I'd love to spend some time talking about some of the reasons why that is. I don't have time this morning to go into that. I think there's some theological ones. I think there's some church history reasons why this is the case. Uh, I just don't have time to go down that road. Maybe when we get to Matthew 6, I will dive into some of those things. But fasting is us denying ourselves food so that we can feed on the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, so then let's ask the second question, and this is where I want to spend the rest of my time. Why should we fast? There's lots of reasons why we should fast. In his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, Donald Whitney lays out a ton of reasons. He says, to strengthen prayer, to seek God's guidance, to express grief, to seek deliverance or protection, to express repentance and return to God, to humble oneself before God, to express concern for the whole work of God, to minister to the needs of others, to overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God, to express love and worship to God. Those are all great reasons. Those are all great reasons. I'd love to unpack some of them. We don't have 
time this morning, what I want to do is unpack one reason, and it's the reason Jesus gives in Luke chapter 5. So go back to Luke chapter 5 with me. So we have verse 33 where the Pharisees, teachers of the law, they ask Jesus why his disciples don't fast. And Jesus tells us why we should fast in his response to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Look at what he says in verse 34. Jesus answered, can you make friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? So right here in this verse, Jesus cuts to the heart of why fasting is important for the follower of Jesus. See, up to this point, like I said, the Old Testament, the Jews, they fasted. Why did they fast? Fasting was a a way of them expressing mourning. In fact, if you go to uh, Matthew chapter 6, when we get there, you'll see this. Jesus gives instruction on fasting. He says, when you fast, don't disfigure your face and make it look like this is a really painful experience. Instead, pour oil on yourself and like kind of smile a lot when you fast. The reason for that, part of that is because he doesn't want you to, uh, you know, fast make your fasting known outwardly because he wants you to, to make it like more private because it's an act that you do for God's glory, not for your own glory. But there's another reason for that. And that is because he's actually critiquing the way that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law tended to view fasting. They viewed it as, oh, they, they were mourning. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. So, so it was actually not a good thing. It was a bad thing. They, they, were, they were desperate. And here's what Jesus is saying. Now that I've come, this isn't a bad thing. This is a good thing. The, the Messiah has come. See, the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, like they were desperate for someone to come and someone to rescue them and someone to redeem them. And what Jesus is saying here is the reason my disciples don't fast is because I am the Messiah and I am here. So because I'm here, this is actually a time of celebration, not a time of mourning. This is a really good thing. Now look at what he says in the next verse. Verse 35, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and in those days they will fast. In other words, what Jesus is saying right here in this verse is I'm here now. I'm with you now. The bride and the bridegroom or the bride and the groom, they're together. It's time of celebration, but I will be taken from you. In other words, you know, if you know the story of Jesus, if you know the story of the gospels, Jesus is foreshadowing what's going to happen to him when he goes to the cross. In just a few pages in the New Testament, Jesus is going to go to the cross. On the cross, he's going to prove that he indeed was the Messiah. He indeed is the one that was coming to rescue and redeem all of humanity. He's going to go to the cross. As the apostle Paul said, he's going to become our sin. He's going to die on the cross in our place for our sin, for our brokenness, for our rebellion. He's going to be placed in the tomb. He'll be there for three days. He's going to be raised from the dead, demonstrating that he indeed was the Messiah, demonstrating that he indeed did conquer sin, did conquer death, did conquer Satan, did conquer hell. And then he will ascend into heaven and he will be seated at the right hand of the Father. But he promises this, that he will come again. He will come again. And what Jesus is saying here in these verses is that right now I'm with you, disciples. You don't need to fast, but I'm going to leave and I want you then to fast. In other words, here's why we fast. Because we long for the day that Jesus will return. We long for it. John Piper says this, In this age, there is an ache inside every Christian 
that Jesus is not here as fully and intimately and as powerfully and as gloriously as we want him to be. And we hunger for so much more. That is why we fast. So here's my contention this morning. This is going to sting a little bit, okay? Sorry. The reason we don't fast, the reason that last time we called a prayer, church-wide prayer meeting, seven people showed up? Seven. And like most of them were like paid to be there. Is because we don't long, we don't ache for Jesus. And because we don't long and we don't ache for Jesus, we see no need to fast. In other words, let me, let me just flip this around. We've got it pretty good. How much better could it possibly be? See, the reason we fast is because we long for the coming of Jesus. The reason we don't fast is because we don't long for it. So, so let me just work this out here with the time I have left. I'm going to work this out in two ways. One, for you as an individual, but then two, for us as a church. And here's, my, here's kind of where I want to go with this, similar to what I said about prayer. One of the reasons we don't pray is because of these feelings of inadequacy. And then my contention to that was that prayer is actually the thing we need to overcome our feelings of inadequacy. The reason we don't fast is because we don't long for Jesus. Here's my contention to us this morning with regards to that. The reason, to, or the way, rather, the means by which God will produce in you a longing for Jesus is if you fast. So the very thing you need to produce a longing for Jesus is the thing you're neglecting to do because you don't long for Jesus. If you want to long for Jesus, in other words, what I'm trying to say is fasting is a surefire way to do that. It's a surefire way to produce a longing for Jesus. Not just skipping food, but not eating food to feed on the presence of the Spirit. And the New Testament talks a lot about this conflict that exists, a conflict between the flesh, what the Bible calls the flesh. The Apostle Paul fleshes this idea of flesh out many times in his writings, in Galatians 5, in the book of Romans, in the book of First and Second Corinthians. He talks about the flesh, the flesh and the Spirit. Now, the flesh, when the Apostle Paul talks about the flesh, it's, it's the things that your heart desires. Now, let me just be clear about something. It's not the deepest desires, but it's the thing that your heart desires. And it's actually the thing that your heart desires that you tend to worship. Tim Keller calls this a disordered love. So it could be money. It could be family. It could be, it could be success. It's whatever, your, whatever the blank is that kind of drives you, that you love more deeply than anything else. And here's what the flesh will do. It'll take a good thing and turn it into a God thing. Here's how. It takes it from being something that you use to bring honor and glory to Jesus, and he will turn it, the flesh rather, will turn it into bringing honor and glory to yourself. This is where, this is what the, the, the reformers would call humanity in curvatus. Humanity turned in on itself, where we take all these good things that God has given us, things like sex and pleasure and enjoyment, and we make them about us. Instead of using them to glorify God and to enjoy the blessings of the gifts God has given us, we worship the gift above the giver. 
And Paul says that your flesh has desires. It has desires. It wants to do something. This is the part of you that is not yet fully sanctified, not yet fully submitted to Jesus. But there's another part of you. And this is what the New Testament calls the spirit. And this is the part of you that has been transformed by the spirit of God. This is what we would call regeneration or parts of your life where you've actually submitted them to the lordship of Christ. When we talk about discipleship, we we talk about this idea that discipleship is submitting more and more of your life to the lordship of Christ. The flesh and the spirit are in battle. So things like lust and lying and anger and gossip and greed, those aren't your deepest desires. They're strong, but beneath them, there's even deeper desires. And this is the place where the spirit of God is changing you and working in your life. And what's happening in our lives all the time is a conflict between spirit and flesh. It's the desires of the flesh going to war against the desires of the spirit. And the reason that we sin, the reason that we don't pursue Jesus, the reason that we don't obey him is because we allow the flesh to overtake the spirit. So if you could put that chart up on the screen again. In other words, if you're stuck somewhere on this chart, the reason for that is because you are allowing the flesh to win. If you have, like I've talked about already, bitterness, uh, unforgiveness in your past, brokenness that you've yet to deal with, the flesh, it feeds on that. It actually enjoys it. It's like a plant getting sun and water. You're nourishing it. You're allowing it to grow and fester and foster. Right? This is what happens when you like, when you dwell on something. It's like a nasty pet. You just keep feeding and it's growing and it's it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And the reason you can't move beyond where you are, the reason you can't forgive, the reason you live in this pit of brokenness or the reason you wallow in your sorrow is because you continue to feed the flesh. You continue, I mean, the way this works itself out is you tell yourself a story about the world, what they're thinking, what they're saying, how they're acting, and you place yourself at the center of it. And it's all about you and, and everything. And it just leaves you in this place of complete and utter It's like trying to walk forward in mud. You just can't do it. And what fasting does is it denies yourself physical pleasure, physical sustenance as a way of saying, I no longer want to feed the flesh. I want to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. In other words, it's a physical process of what you want to happen in the spiritual realm. I want to feast on the spirit and not on the flesh. And something happens in our lives when we take away this base level of comfort. I don't know if you've ever fasted before. It's a horrible experience. You should try it sometime. You, know, you get hangry, right? Hungry, angry, hangry. You get short with people. You get frustrated. 
All this ugliness comes to the surface. Why? Think about this with me for a second. Because you've been medicating your heart with food. All that's coming to the surface is what's really in there. All the brokenness, all the hurt, all the frustration, all the self-centeredness, it's just coming to the surface. And often in unhealthy ways, we depend on other things to satisfy us rather than satisfying our hearts with Jesus. And so all fasting does is it awakens us to the latent spiritual appetites by pushing the things that we truly have been feasting on out of the center of our hearts and out to the outside so that we can deal with what's really going on in here. And really what it does is exposes the deep hunger that exists in our soul. In John chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What fasting does is it rids our flesh of the things that feed it and forces us, forces us to feed on Jesus. So that begs the question, do we want this? Do you want to produce in yourself a longing for Jesus? Is it worth it to you to kill your flesh for the sake of knowing a new and profound way, the ultimate satisfaction that Jesus can provide? Do we want to deny ourselves a little bit of earthly pleasure to have a new, profound, and potentially life-transforming experience with Jesus? If the answer is no, you need to fast. (laughs) Because then here's what you will do, to quote the psalmist, you will taste and you will see that the Lord is good. My guess is right now, if we were to take a plate and put on it what we are actually feeding our souls with, you know, like if you have small kids, you have one of them plates, it's got like, you know, this is where the meat goes. The little tiny one for the dessert, that's where Jesus is. Sunday, twice a month. That's where Jesus goes. And what fasting does is it takes everything else off the plate and says, you need this. You need Jesus. He alone can satisfy the cravings of your soul and nothing else. So that is why we fast. We fast because our souls long for Jesus. And we fast because... We might not know that our souls long for Jesus and we want them to long for him. I'm going to wrap up by talking about why we fast corporately. Throughout the scripture, there's plenty of times where corporate fasting takes place, as I've already alluded to in the Old Testament. 
Uh, even in the New Testament, we see the Church of Acts fasting. Back, back to Luke chapter 5. Like I said, the reason that we would call the church to fast is because it's our way of publicly expressing a desire to tell Jesus that we long for him. It's a way of adding an intensity and expressiveness to our prayer. And listen, I'm not, I'm not naive. I'm, I'm looking around. Like this is the kind of Sunday where more people than ever have gotten up while I'm preaching. Okay, I'm not stupid. I know what's going on. Like I know this is not the sexy stuff of following Jesus. But this is so important. so important for us as a church family. If we are serious about fulfilling the mission that Jesus has called us to, we have to be serious about longing for his presence to become more and more in our lives. We have to be serious about stopping feeding our flesh, and starting to feed on the presence of Jesus. We have to acknowledge the fact that we, we are coasting in many ways. And we need to come to the place where we humbly acknowledge that we have nothing to offer and we need him. So are we asking you to fast for the day? Yeah. Are we asking you to come to a prayer meeting? Yeah. But we're asking you to do so much more than that. So much more than that, church. We're asking you to be serious and to take a sober look at your life and ask the question, am I, am I actually feasting on Jesus? And then we're, we're saying as a church family, if we are going to have any impact in this city at all, we cannot do this on our own. We need the presence of God to make himself known in our midst. And what I just talked about personally, we need corporately. If feasting on Jesus isn't sexy enough for you, I'm done. I got nothing else. I invite the band to come up and wind down with this. Each week there's been a takeaway. You already know where this is going. Here's the takeaway for the week. Should be on the screen. We're asking you to fast from fruit, from food, from sunup to sundown together as a church on Tuesday, October 23rd, and join together for a night of worship and prayer at 6 p.m. at the West Village offices. The address is on the screen. It's just up the road, up Kelly Road, Kelly Road and Souk Road, Hatley Plaza. It's a two-minute drive from here. Take a picture of this with your phone if you're worried about not knowing where the office is or how to get there. And here's what we want to do. We, we want to come together and encounter the Lord. We want to meet with him. We want to express outwardly what I've been talking about, which is we don't have enough of you, Jesus, and we need more of you. So find a babysitter. Drop 30 bucks on a babysitter. I got four that live at my house. find a babysitter, call it a date night. As a community group, figure something out. 
pay one kid to come and watch all the kids in your community. That's probably illegal, but do it. For Jesus, do it. And make it a priority to be there. And I'm just, warning, we might not do the fasting every month, but every month we're going to be calling the church to come together to worship and pray and seek the Lord together. Every month. And we want this to become a rhythm that we start to practice as a church family. Here's why. Because we've looked around as leaders, as elders, as community group leaders, and we've just said, we need more of Jesus. Amen? I I need more of them. Don't you need more of them? Maybe maybe you don't. If you don't, then don't come. Don't come out of guilt. Don't come out of shame. Don't come because we said, but if you're hungry for more of Jesus, then come. Come. Here's where we'll close. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus tells this parable. Here's what he says. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you, for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some of you. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. They missed the coming of the bridegroom for lack of preparation. A few weeks ago, we had a community group leader, one-day retreat. One of the questions that we asked as a means of stoking the flame of prayer was, What are you doing to prepare for the return of Jesus? It was that quiet. He's coming. Church, it's good news that he's coming. He is coming. And when he comes, what will we, his people, be doing? See, the invitation this morning is for us to get to the place where we long for his coming. We long for more people to know him. We long for his kingdom to grow. We long for marriages to be restored. We long for people to be healed physically, to be healed spiritually. We long. We long. And in prayer and fasting, what we are saying is we can't do it. We can't produce it. And so, Lord, we come before you as a people humbled on our faces. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you long for that? Do you long for it? And now we will respond.
We're going to respond in singing. We're going to respond in giving. Ken and Rena will be in the back if any of you need prayer. We're also going to respond by taking communion. There'll be two stations at the front. At each station, there'll be a cracker, which represents Jesus' broken body. There'll, be, uh, there'll also be wine or juice, which represents the shed blood of Jesus. And here's what we are remembering. We're not just remembering what Jesus did for us. He did lay down his life. He did shed his blood on the cross for our sins. And we are indeed remembering that. But we're also remembering what he will do. And so by coming forward to take communion this morning, this is like our way of saying, Lord Jesus, we long for you to come. Let's bow our heads and pray. Just with your head bowed this morning. Just ask the Spirit to produce in you a longing. Maybe you have it, it's great. Maybe you're here and there's just a lot of stuff going on. Maybe you've just been sitting in the brokenness of your past for a long time. Maybe you're holding on to a grudge and you can't long for Jesus because you're just thinking about that all the time. Maybe you hear the voice of the accuser Satan, father of lies, just whispering lies over your heart that aren't true, that aren't, aren't the words of our Heavenly Father. You're not good enough. You failed. If these people really knew you. If you didn't hear anything this morning, hear this. Jesus has so much more for you than that. So much more for you. Why eat bread that does not satisfy? Why drink water that does not quench? When we can feast on our Lord Jesus, And so, Lord, we just confess as a family, we have not loved you well. We have not, we do not long for you. And we thank you that in your loving kindness, you say, I know, it's okay. And you invite us to the table to come again. And so, Lord, this morning, I just pray for some of us that we would once and for all leave some of this stuff at the cross. We would leave these things where they belong with you. We'd walk in freedom. Spirit, would you pour out your love 
in this place. Would you remind us of your goodness and your faithfulness to us?